What up, and welcome to another episode of Cinema, Cinema Snorkel, Snorkel, the podcast where we dive below the surface on the themes and ideas in movies. I'm Casey. And I'm Carlin. So glad to be here with you today, Casey, and to yes. all our loyal fans, welcome. Yes, so loyal, so wow. This was a big weekend, wasn't it? Oh yeah. A big oh, weekend. Man. Huge. A n- our newest Marvel flick came out. And that's what we're going to talk about today. It's time to snorkel it. So, Carlin, today we're talking about Thor, Love and Thunder. The old ex-girlfriend. What's it been like? Three, four years? <laughs> Eight years, seven months and six days. Give or take. Am I uh, sensing feelings? Right. First impressions go. Be honest, be ruthless. We're nothing if not honest on this podcast. Well, come on. Okay, I didn't like it. I mean, it's okay. I mean, comparing it right off the shelf to Ragnarok, it's like me. It just didn't have the same. There were some fun things. There was a few cool things, and I laughed a couple good times. Um, But overall, yeah, it just felt like, man, we're so irreverent and so cringy with Thor. And that's the direction that they took at the end of uh, Endgame. Or is it Endgame? Where he's like fat and lazy and alcoholic and just absolutely falling to pieces. And... Man, don't get that me feels started like, with that. W- w- wouldn't it be funny if Thor... Uh, but that's as far as it should have gone. It shouldn't have gone into a script and and stayed in that script and become multiple movies. Like, yeah. It, so it was hard for me to watch. Um, but then, you know, they're, yeah, they give you some goodies that are fun. So what did you think, Case? Well, it is interesting because the Russo brothers directed Endgame and they totally trashed I th- what I think was the masterpiece that Taika Waititi produced with mm-hmm. Thor Ragnarok. And I'm with you, though. Ragnarok is my favorite Marvel movie Ooh. to date. Because wait, 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 wait. Spider-Man? What about... No, don't. Don't ask me critical okay, thinking questions after that <laughs> statement. Just let me be let me, let me be. You'll in question it, everything. Okay, okay <laughs> continue. Because I, 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 I love the Spider-Mans. But um, yeah, it, I, it really is like one of my very favorite Marvel movies because... They nailed the balance between uh-huh. irreverent, like they were irreverent in all the right ways, and then they landed a very, like, uh, emotionally powerful uh, yeah. movie with a character that everybody loves and kind of needed a refresh yeah. really yes, badly. Yeah. He got stale. And mm-hmm. I, I think an archetypical way they did that was by killing off the Warriors three really quickly. Like that, no one knew who they were, no one cared, and so also Taika who's actually, the Warriors three? See exactly. <laughs> The, exactly. Is that like they're his the, Sif, they're, they're Sif and like Sif is one of them. Yeah, and yeah, mm-hmm. and clearly she makes yeah. it, which is great. Like if you're gonna do something with a character, that's great. But so like that gave Thor Ragnarok kind of the dramatic heft. Like oh my gosh, like Hella Hella can kill. She characters. can break his hammer. And she broke his hammer. Right. All of that. All of that. All of that. So Thor: Love and Thunder felt to me like Ragnarok Redux. Like, we're just going to come back and just, let's just do it again, baby. Let's just try the same formula. What was so cool about Ragnarok, I mean, we should do an episode on it. I just rewatched it in prep for this, like everyone did. And the themes they're grappling with in Ragnarok are so hefty. He's struggling with Asgard's dark history and how is he supposed to take the throne that he doesn't believe in anymore this one, I, maybe it's just because we've been doing this podcast and I'm now thinking of every movie through the lens of what does it mean? 
But this yeah. one felt very like messagey. Like, here's our message. Here you go. Like, we're gonna tell you about love. A little bit. Did you feel that way, or is that in my head? This movie felt to me like a sugar <laughs> rush. Like mm-hmm. they just were like candy, 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 and they didn't like. They were so irreverent that they just couldn't bring it all the way back for any kind of meaningful message. Despite a standout performance by Christian oh, Bale. Oh, yeah, he was awesome. That was great. They had the ingredients to make it amazing, but they just couldn't bring yeah. it all the way back. Yeah. And so, like, when they're on the boat and Thor and Jane are having their, like, finally, like, real yeah. touching moment, I didn't believe it. I was like, no, me neither. I was just over I it. I felt nothing. Yeah, I feel nothing. nothing. Much like Christian Bale. I'll tell you one thing I did like, and then I want you to tell me one thing you did like, and then we can move uh, on okay, and I unpack guess. the themes, because that's what we do. We overthink movies. <laughs> yeah, dissect it. Dissect <laughs> just it kidding. all the way. Just kidding. We don't want to do that, but heck, <laughs> we can't help it. Um, I like, okay, I did like the personified hammer and axe. I thought that was fun, and it. I think as we're going to get into a little bit, it did, it did kind of carry their themes such as they were. Yeah, and I, I liked that. Yeah, there was a lot of pretty things, like the scene when they crash into the planet, and it's like that old-timey right. movie. Do you know the one that's like oh, exists yeah. in pop culture now? With the rocket ship Where lodged in the eye of the moon. Yeah, and the moon's all like... Rah, rah, rah. Um, I only know it from Hugo. Um, but yeah, that, that was kind of cool, and they're all in this like noir uh, zone, like Twilight Zone with all the colors. Th- those kinds of playful things I think are fun, and I like that in the totally. Thor universe. And yeah, Christian Bale was awesome. I did not know it was him until like 15 minutes into his <laughs> screen time. And then I was like, wait a second, I know this <laughs> guy. Because you didn't like read a trailer or see anything about Christian Bale being in this movie? Don't think, <laughs> just do. I, I... <laughs> you also didn't, you also didn't know that just Penny Benjamin was meant to be a different character <laughs> than Charlie in Top Gun Maverick. So Casey, let's move on from this. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about our themes here because they, I feel like this movie has lots of them. Do let's. Do, what would you say? What where do you think are the are the themes that come to mind? The first one, which comes through really loud and clear, it, it's the first thing you notice is sort of what do we do with like deep loss of identity? Like what do I do when life has kind of moved past me and changed yeah. and everything is so different than how it was? Yeah. Y- you have Thor at the beginning just absolutely um, lost. He's like wandering around. Like he has no idea who he is. And it's funny because the Guardians of the Galaxy who are, the they are the ragtag group and they don't totally. really have their own strong sense of identity. But next to Thor, they like know who they are. And that great scene when um, Star-Lord is looking at him and he's like, making eye contact with his crew and he's like when you find <laughs> yeah, the people yeah. that you love you look into their eyes and they'll re- they'll tell you who you are and he's like right and he's just so bored like <laughs> he is the strongest avenger and he's got you know stormbreaker this hammer that literally killed thanos yeah and he's so bored yeah yeah so he destroys that crystal palace and you just knew that was coming, oh. didn't you? Like, the minute they panned over to that palace, I was like... <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, it's totally inevitable. Like, you just know. <laughs> like, what pretty fancy toys can we have Thor trample on? Okay, but can you just explain to me how and why exactly the plot makes sense? Because I still am, like, a little bit lost. Like, why did he kidnap all those kids? <laughs> he wanted to draw Thor in because he needed the Bifrost to get to... The MacGuffin. Oh, sorry. I mean the ultimate eternal <laughs> yeah, wish right. granter at the core. And of the, his, universe. the wish he yeah. wants granted is he wants 
to kill, to the, kill gods, all the gods, but he switchy switches, and instead he gets his daughter back for five minutes of sweetness. Wow. Isn't that heartwarming how he switches at the last minute because they literally just say to him, you're looking for love. And he goes, you're right. I am looking for love. And he's like, great. I'll just entrust the guy I was trying to kill, my daughter, who I'm going to bring back from the dead right as I die. It, yeah. Didn't buy and it. So I think, okay, can I just say a theme? Please. Because going rewinding um, back to uh, Natalie Portman, um, or sorry, Jane, she is dying from cancer. And I kind of appreciated the fact that they didn't save her like i'm sure in a multiverse like that we live in there's a million ways they could find to save jane foster but instead they choose to let the character die and that's kind of an acknowledgement that death actually is a reality and but the question i think they're trying to ask is is it worth it to love and and lose or is it better to protect your heart from that pain because to love and he even says it um, at one point he says love is pain yeah, what you're saying is so real. And if they had like just cut, you know, maybe 30% of like the sugar mm-hmm. rush and the irreverence and like some of the and unnecessary And the goats, they could cut the goats plot. entirely in my mind. <laughs> yeah, maybe the last like 3 times the goats screamed, mm-hmm. they maybe could have cut. Or maybe like all but... of them. I don't know. Okay, I I laughed hard the first time. <laughs> if they had cut that and focused on Thor and Jane mm-hmm. and what Thor chooses to do is love Jane. Mhm. Uh, even though he actually knows she's going to die of yeah. cancer. He opens his heart to that that pain, yeah. Okay, you're going to laugh, but I, I actually think like the way Thor kind of relates with Stormbreaker <laughs> versus uh, yeah. Mjolnir, uh, am I saying that I think you wrong? can't say yes. it right, so go ahead and say it however you want to say it. Yeah, the way he deals with his new axe versus his old hammer, they play it up for laughs, but actually when he actually quote-unquote reconciles with Stormbreaker <laughs> and he pours yeah. the beer... On it, I I liked that. There was something satisfying there because that's Thor accepting kind of his new reality. Yeah. And accepting the loss. It's almost like letting the loss happen and moving on actually emotionally with life. Instead of avoiding or band-aiding or trying to scramble and it's like you have to just turn and face it straight on. And yes. kind of accept it. <laughs> it's weird that the most compelling version of that to me was him <laughs> reconciling with <laughs> his axe. Only Taika yeah, with TT could do Taika this. With I, I liked that. I appreciated that moment, actually. That's great. The next theme that I saw was Is there any meaning to our suffering? And this one, I think they set up really powerfully mm. with Christian Bale mm-hmm. wandering through the desert and arriving to his God that he's been praying to his like lowercase g deity yeah and the god does nothing truly just laughs that scene was actually so disturbing because the question then is if the gods are fake is there any meaning to it all hmm. right is there any meaning to our suffering gore thought that there was meaning to his suffering because he believed in god when he finds out that the gods are all fake huh. how do we deal with that And so Gore's quest is to then kill all the gods just because of rage. Yeah. Yeah. Because they didn't answer his prayer. They left him to suffer. Right. And the haunting question is, if the gods are fake, is there any meaning to our suffering at all? Yeah. Right. What would give meaning to suffering? So then I think having set up such a powerful question, I think essentially the movie does very little to answer it. (laughs) <laughs> it 
it yeah. kind of killed me. <laughs> and in in some way, they're not going to answer that question because they're they're not taking gods seriously yeah. at all. Well, because they're not gods; they're just they're beings. We're we're not talking about them as if they're real spiritual authorities. They're gods, lowercase g. Like whereas a monotheistic god is transcendent uh-huh. it's like above the fray mm-hmm. polytheism has never really claimed that its gods are truly above the fray they come down they sleep with mortals they right. do all kinds of like dubious things uh-huh. and so it's true to polytheism there but it seemed like the movie to me ignored the question by assuming that of course all our gods are fake Mm-hmm. Like the impression that I got was like whoever your god is, like when they go to Olympus, mm-hmm. and all the gods are like silly and whatever. The impression is whoever your god is, you know, he or it or or whatever is probably not real. Like you think your god is real, right? If if it is real, it's silly. It's like these gods, right? It's like um like the great and powerful Oz is just the man behind the curtain. Yeah, totally. So why would you pray to a being like that? Why would you put any totally. sort of hope in a being like that? And the MCU previously has just um like ducked the question or they've been like, yeah, like th- the humans think we're immortal, right? Isn't that funny? Like w- they worship right. us as gods and we like that, but you know, we're just like kind of super beings out here. In right. this one they tapped a little more into like almost the uh like religious aspect of it and and really gore's question is like if the gods are fake is there any meaning to anything at all and i have to say the way they resolved that bugged the crap out of me because they just they were like it's love gore the the answer is love right the answer is love and that just magically transforms gore's entire character arc in the last three minutes you know what i mean he's just been hell-bent on killing all of these people and all these innocent people he's kidnapping children but somehow then he cares about his child enough to have a tender-hearted moment and it just it was too rushed and i don't think they actually answered that question so okay good i want to talk about what is love yeah i think that's an amazing question and one that the movie does not bother to <laughs> to deal with. Well, it does not bother. I think they're asking what is real love, but they mean it like in an existential sense, and they don't have mm-hmm. a fully fleshed out worldview. I mean, case in point, to rescue all these people, Thor kills all of these people in Olympus. Yeah. And that scene. Well, but they don't really die. I guess Kinda. not. I guess not. Like charitably, I I hope not, because otherwise he like when their gold blood spews out, he kills all these guards of Olympus. Yeah. My question, I don't think they meant to raise this. I think they wanted it to be irreverent and tongue-in-cheek, like, whoa, Thor's going crazy. But my question was, how is Thor different than Gore in this situation? killing God. Thor has literally killed Zeus. Like, that's what Gore wants to do. So why is Thor the hero? Now, Zeus was a turd (laughs) in this movie. (laughs) Truly, he was a turd. Right. He, well, I think that's kind of the, they go through the same thing. Their hero, he's like, never meet your hero, kids. When you meet your hero, you meet your god, it's just, you're just disappointed because they're actually just crappy losers. But what they do land on, and I think they say this with total sincerity, is there's no greater purpose than to help those in need. But what is it that the gods keep failing to do again and again and again? Help, help th- those, those in, in need. need. Their subjects who are praying to them and asking for help, they just laugh at them and ignore them. And so Thor, that is kind of what he's doing. He's, mm. In the beginning, he's going around and helping people in need, right? Right. But that is a core piece of his identity. Yeah, I think that's really good, actually. And it 
ties back to me. I mean, maybe this segues into our third kind of section. Going back to the cancer thing, when you feel like the gods aren't answering my prayers. There's there's no higher power that's going to answer me. And if there is a higher power, it's probably just a joke. It's just a big hoax. And so, but what do we do with that real suffering? Yeah. Like people really are dying. So Carlin, then how did you see just the movie itself, like Thor, Love and Thunder, answer that question ultimately? The theme that I would boil this whole movie up as, I would sum it up with, Love equals identity. What does that mean? Yeah, unpack that. I think what they they set up with Thor doesn't know who he is, falling to pieces because he's so uncentered and ungrounded. And then the thing that tells you who you are is when you have love, what everybody's after, everybody's searching for love. Somebody else says that in the movie. They're like, that's what every, you can't, yeah, everybody's looking for love. And when you are loved and you, and you are in love, then you have grounding, you have security, and you have identity. He, that's the thing that he's lacking. It, he's not able to face the pain of loss, right? He runs from from pain. And Jane, for him to love her means he's going to lose her because either she's rejected him or she's going to die. And so it, it completes his character arc to love someone that is mm. going to break his heart. Well, Carlin, I honestly wish you had directed this movie because maybe those <laughs> themes would have come through like uh, more clearly or smoothly or like sweetly. They were just so, to me, just muddled under yeah, like the layers of like irreverence. A kaleidoscope of candy. Yeah, you're right. It's like candy. Um, <laughs> they it, tried for it, but I just, I, I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. I don't, to me, it just didn't land. Yeah, I just, they didn't do it. With the exception of, he does choose, I think you're right. He does choose to love Jane, even though she's dying of cancer. So I I appreciate that. And that's what Peter Quill, he's like, I know who I am. I loved Gamora and now she's gone. Um, But he hasn't lost his identity for having lost his love. He still loves her. It's like Quill has dealt with his loss is what they're, is like what they're saying. Yeah, yeah. Which is surprising, given that he's like a man-child. He's the one, yeah, right. But Thor makes him look really uh, mature and sophisticated. So this movie is like swirling around in my brain. Um, Love gives you identity and grounding. Um, Even if you have to suffer loss. And you can bear up under the suffering. Why? Because love. It it kind of just becomes like a little bit of a circular mm-hmm. question. So this will get us into our third section, which is what does a Christian worldview have to say about it? Are you good if we just cross that bridge? Jump and in. And now, now bring our own worldview to bear. Please do. I think our culture wants love desperately. And all we can do is assume we know what that means. But my theory is that in light of what they did with Gore's question. Mm-hmm. Just carte blanche say all the gods are fake, basically, and mm-hmm. agree with that. The filmmakers agree with that. Mm-hmm. They're so irreverent that they definitely agree with that. Yeah. I think that deprives the universe, big picture, of real meaning in a, in a cosmic sense. And that makes it really hard to find like interpersonal love meaningful mm-hmm. in, in, a, uh, in like a one-on-one sense. And to me, that was the fundamental disconnect of this movie. Hmm. They couldn't reconcile the universe's meaninglessness uh-huh. with finding meaning in the personal relationship with Jane. He lacks meaning with Jane because he's been rejected by her. His life just lacks meaning, and he's looking to Jane as the answer. Oh, got it. Right. And and while that is satisfying in like an in kind of an immediate sense, 
I think given the backdrop of universal meaninglessness that they've painted through the serious existential questions of gore, yeah, it doesn't land. It's it's too hard to synthesize those two propositions. Like the gods are fake. Everything mm-hmm. you've believed in is fake. So just learn to love and accept loss in the moment. There's no ultimate meaning to the universe. Like Nietzsche was the guy who said, God right. is dead. Yeah, right. And in response, all we can do is look within and kind of forge our own meaning right. out of life. Look, Get smaller. Just focus on the people right in front of you. And if you can find love in your immediate circle of people, like that's where you're going to find your ultimate purpose and meaning and help people when you're given the when you're given the chance. Yes. And on one hand, that seems like it will be a satisfying answer. Mm-hmm. When we're living our day to day lives, that's all most of us are thinking about, myself included as a Christian. Yeah. But Carlin, people are meaning making creatures. Mm-hmm. We have to ask why we yeah. have to. It, it's it's intrinsic to the to what it means to be a human being that you have to know why you exist, why your suffering matters. Yeah. And we'll, we will never stop asking that question. And the answer of there is no ultimate answer, just focus on the people around you, mm-hmm. can get you through maybe a season. But ultimately, I find it uh, so empty because there's nothing to fill that truly cosmic void. And I think that's why I found Gore's transformation so unbelievable to me because he's asking cosmic questions of suffering Mm -hmm. and they try to answer it by like well here's your daughter but truly when people go off the deep end with those cosmic questions their immediate personal relationships are not going to satisfy them like they should like they Mm -hmm. like they could Mm -hmm. you actually have to know why and i'm tipping my hand i think a lot of listeners if they're not christians might say no we don't you can live Mm -hmm. in the (laughs) in the tension yeah and i i just say good luck not like a a hostile good luck we're all dealing with the same questions but it's just like a just on the weight of preponderance of human experience i say good luck so what about casey because to me the the question behind the question here is okay talk to someone who has suffered and maybe they used to believe in god but they don't anymore because when they were in need and their daughter was dying in the in the desert they called out to their god and and heard silence That to me is behind all the candy and the hoopla and stuff. To me, that's a real aching question in people's hearts. Oh man, it, Carlin, it's like the aching question in people's hearts. Mm. And I just want to say like to anyone who's in that boat, I mean, I'm with you and I I feel the ache of that. Yeah. So I don't want to be cavalier with that question. That's like the central question, but I just want to say, by rejecting God, what kind of an answer do we give ourselves? Almost the movie shows us that with Gore. He is so hurt, he's so burned that mm-hmm. in his heart, he, uh, in, in reality, he's killing all these gods mm-hmm. that he doesn't believe in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's so powerful to me because that mirrors what so many of us do when we're faced with haunting loss. But my question is, what kind of an answer is that ultimately? And even though the movie tries to rise above it by pointing us towards like, don't be mad, be loving. I think we need to deal with our anger seriously, which is why it felt cheap that they did the old switcheroo and they swapped ultimate answers that Gore was asking with with answers that are interpersonal and could be meaningful, but they feel cheap in the face of like, if I were to come back and answer that person who's suffering with that question, well, just find the meaning in the people around you. Right. 
I think they would rightly say, no, (laughs) I'm asking a question about God, the supposed God, the God who maybe I don't believe in or I'm angry with or who's supposed to be there. Like we feel like God is supposed to be there and we will reject the answers that honestly I think Thor is trying to give us. So Thor kind of trips on itself a little bit how I do think like Thor's existential like restlessness leads him to go crazy and be kind of bored and listless and do all this crazy stuff like smash the crystal tower. I think this movie kind of was an example of like, it was just like, ah, we just like need screaming goats and like, how do we resolve this? Well, it's like, just like love, you know, like mm-hmm. it kind of it carried that same energy through the whole thing without like real resolution. The main way that our Christian worldview speaks to all of these questions, like is there validity to our suffering? What do we do when we've hurt and we've lost? How do Mm -hmm. we move on? Like even that question of what is real love? I just can't Mm -hmm. escape the idea, Carlin, that it all actually Mm -hmm. depends on who you think God is in any direction. If you think God doesn't exist Mm -hmm. and the gods are fake and silly, that absolutely informs your answer of what you do with those questions. If, If like Gore, you think the gods are real, but they're cruel. If you come to the conclusion that God, God is a personal God who loves you and weeps with you and has a plan ultimately to Mm -hmm. restore all things to goodness, that absolutely impacts your answer to those three questions. And the movie just couldn't go there because it's a Marvel movie and those questions are actually like too on the nose. Right. Well, and because their answer is that there really isn't a God. Like we kind of live in an age where the understood, you can have some personal spiritual beliefs and whatever, but we all kind of know that there isn't really a God. It's, we live in a natural world and the things that exist are natural. And anything spiritual is probably just like evolved science or, or mind science. Um, totally. And that is the implicit worldview of this movie. And they're not even raising that question like, well, maybe there is God. Like, no, we don't, we're, we don't ask that question. Our ideas about God matter and we just yeah. can't escape them. There's no neutral yeah like vanilla worldview on this all of us have a worldview about god yeah and if your worldview is there's no god that's just as much of a fighting worldview as our belief that there is a personal god Mm -hmm. yeah i think we tend to think of atheism is like the blank canvas and then if you're going to add some colors on there it can be the color of hinduism or the color of you know uh islam but you're right no god is a worldview The idea that atheism is our blank canvas is such a privileged Western worldview because where have the most atheists in the world lived? It's in the last 200 years in the wealthy, privileged, enlightened West. Every other culture and, and even the overwhelming majority of people in the West believe Uh in God. In fact, 80% of this movie's audience believe in God. Of one form or another. Yeah. Like, I just saw a survey that said 80% of Americans... Well, sorry, this movie is going to go internationally. But at least 80% of their American audience come to this theater truly Mm -hmm. believing in God. It is interesting. Our default as human creatures is religion. Yeah. Because of what we said earlier, we're meaning-making creatures. We have to ask why. We cannot not ask why. Right. And actually, the reverse of that, not we have to believe in God because we're meaning-making we're meaning making because God exists. Yeah. Because that is the way the world is, we're hardwired to search for it and to wonder about it. Well said. No matter how evolved or technologically advanced you could get, if you could explain all of the natural history of the world in textbooks, you can't get away from the search in your heart 
for meaning. Yeah. And that is a spiritual question. Yeah. Not a science question. It's it's a question that can only be asked in spiritual terms by looking to a spiritual being. And, and so what matters is what kind of a God do you believe in? Totally. The God of the Bible is not just another one of those um, gods in the weird Zeus throne room who's like, oh, all my Christian people need to make sure that they follow the Ten Commandments because that's the set of rules that I... Like, God is... His whole, like, MO is that he's a God that presses into humanity. He's a God of giving, self-giving. Like, that's his very nature is he didn't have to create humanity to serve him or to worship him or whatever. It's not an ego fest for God. He is just so overflowing with love and community and wanting to share that he created more creatures that could participate with him so that he could adopt them and love them and so that they could love him in return. And even when those creatures reject him, which is the whole story of starting in Genesis, he's formulated a plan at great personal cost to himself, ultimate suffering and losing his only son. But he's willing to pay that cost in order to bring us back into his community. Not that we do all the right things and follow all the rules and be good boys and girls so that we can go to heaven. It's that we would set aside our pride so that we can accept his free gift of grace. Right. The shortest verse in the Bible is in John's gospel, and it's when Jesus comes to the tomb of his friend Lazarus. The shortest verse in the Bible is Jesus wept. And I think it might be one of the most profound verses in the Bible because what that tells us is that God is not indifferent to our suffering. He's not sitting in an oasis, eating fruit, laughing at us. Mm -mm. He is genuinely truly weeping with us yeah because jesus in that moment knows that this is not how the world was meant to go and so god validates our suffering by saying this truly is not how things are meant to be it's not as though god doesn't give us any answers about the meaning of our suffering big picture either yeah. So while he weeps with us in the moment, what Jesus is doing when he raises Lazarus from the dead, he didn't raise every single person who had died mm -mm. when he walked the earth from the dead. What he's doing is pointing forward to the end of time when he's going to come back and raise everyone from the dead. The king of the universe is going to come back and make everything right. Mm -hmm. Our hope as Christians is not that God answers our prayers in this life, although sometimes I believe he does. So hear that caveat. Oh, my goodness. We need to pray because sometimes he will. Yeah. But our ultimate hope is actually in the future. It's that God will one day make everything right all at once and yeah. he'll he'll end the pain and the suffering that we deal with. We're not doomed to just live in this forever. And that's actually why our pain is valid right now. It's because it truly was not meant to be like this. Like the moral of the story isn't, well, you know, sometimes we lose things and you just, that's part of life and part of living. Jesus is saying, mm -hmm. heck no, death is an enemy. And one day it's an enemy I'm going to crush under my heel. Yeah. And the best part of scripture is that it shows us that from book one, Genesis, <laughs> God mm -hmm. speaks to Satan. He speaks to the serpent that's tempted them. And he says, I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman, between her offspring, someone who's going to come from her. And you, you'll strike his heel and he'll crush your head. Yeah. That's a prophecy about Jesus. In, and then it's also a prophecy about eternity and what's going to happen at the very end of time. We're not there yet. But anyway, Christianity validates our suffering and it gives us a real answer to it. 
So I think if someone is like suffering, the Christian answer to you is not to distract yourself, definitely to grieve and process and move on with life and find new meanings in life. But I think that message is anchored by the cosmic meaning of everything. When you miss that loved one who has gone on, you're actually doing something that God made you to do. Your question is so valid. Your, your hurt and your anger is so valid. God weeps with you. God actually wants to hear from you. And the problem with us is that sometimes we stay away from him. Because we're angry. We're all a little bit like gore. <laughs> like, mm. I know I am. In my heart, yeah. I've been angry at God. And I've said, I hate this. I'm just going to burn it all down. Yeah. But by his incredible kindness to me, he actually has shown me in scripture that he wants to hear even some of that anger, which I think will blow people's minds if they're not familiar with the Christian message. Like you were saying, like in the Psalms, David is just like so raw. He's like, God, where the heck are you? I've been faithful to you. I've loved you. Where are you? And God doesn't like smite him right away with those questions. He actually wants to hear from David. Yeah, he can take it. He invites that wrestling. And um, actually the thing that he wants from you, let him have it. He can take it. <laughs> and I think we we tend to think of Christianity as like, well, mind your P's and Q's. Be respectful because God made you and he's the Christ. And yes, he is. He is holy. He is greater than you by infinite. And you are a creature. But you're a creature that he is dignified with the ability to come into the throne room. And what God has done if, is he's, he's taken creatures and he's turned them into sons and daughters. And he said, you have access. If you accept Jesus's sacrifice in your place, you are made an adopted heir. And you now have access to the throne room that you never dreamed of before. Yeah. Timothy Keller always talks about if you walk into the president's office and you're like, hey, would you help me tie my shoe? you're not going to be received very well. (laughs) But if you're the daughter, you're like the five-year-old daughter of the president and you go into the Oval Office and you're like, can you help me tie my shoe? Guess who's going to tie your shoe? The president of the United States. I love that. And that's the kind of, that's the kind of access we have with God. He is, he has invited us into such close and intimate relationship, not because we deserve it, not but because we're on equal standing with him because we're not, but because he has condescended to love his creation in a tender, intimate way and and gives us permission to share our deepest, most intimate feelings of pain, of rejection, of loss. Um, and, and he receives them with tenderness. He wipes the tears from our eyes. Like the way God feels about you is so tender. <laughs> like a father loving his sweet, sweet little baby. Like he just looks at you and, and wants to hold you and hold you. <laughs> Man, and if you're listening to this, I mean, Thor it really is a mirror of our culture on these questions. The mm-hmm. irreverence we feel is a way to mask our deepest pain at the ways we have suffered in life and are angry at God. And I just want to say, like, as a Christian, and I'm sure you'd agree with this, Carlin, like, don't take our word for it. Pick up a Bible. Mm-hmm. Find a Christian. Because people say lots of things about God. Yeah. But I would say I've I've actually experienced this firsthand the most powerfully when I'm reading the words of Jesus. The fundamental mismatch of Thor then for me is that they they are so calloused and so irreverent towards those cosmic questions. 
Yeah. It felt so brash that it felt like they brushed aside the big questions in yeah. favor of more like sugar, popcorn, sweet love. And uh-huh. I just couldn't go there. I actually felt kind of depressed walking out of the theater. They just, he doesn't have a good answer. No, and, and, and why would he? But here's the other thing. Other movies kind of come to approximate answer. Like, they don't uh-huh. raise the massive questions quite this bluntly. They, they come to an approximate answer that I think actually does justice and points us in dir- the direction of real answer. So we could even go back to Ragnarok. Yeah. You know when Hela's got him by the neck at the very end. And he's like, he's remembering, like, are you Thor, the god of hammers? No. And <laughs> he, his father, like, tells him who he is. And he then is like, ah, like, I'm the god of thunder. Like, this is who I am. And the resounding answer right. is like, kaboom. Like, he really comes into his own at the end of Ragnarok. Yeah. Yeah, he taps into his identity. And yeah. that, that, I think, points us towards a much firmer answer for who Thor is. Mm-hmm. Because here's what I also wanted to say. So like Thor, love and thunder. And, you know, a lot of Christians who are listening to this will be like, what are you going to do about the sexual themes that are all throughout it? You know, there's so much we could say about it. But here's the only thing that I'm going to say about about sexual ethics in this. Mm -hmm. As a culture, we put all our eggs in the basket of sexual expression Mm -hmm. as fulfilling our ultimate identity. Mm hmm. And I think you see that a lot through Thor, Love, and Thunder. They they bring it up. Sure. It's very implicit. They're not actually raising the question. They're assuming the answer that, by and large, most of our culture has assumed, which is that sexual expression, one way or another, is what it's going to take to fill that void in our hearts. Mm-hmm. But on it, the weight of its own evidence, I would say Thor doesn't actually believe that. I think Love and Thunder believes that people should be free to express themselves however they want. Yeah. But when they're reaching, even for the most meaningful examples of love... It's not the orgy that Zeus is going to put on. Yeah, right. Which is, by the way, very in line with like classical polytheism. That's very mm-hmm. much what the polytheistic gods would do, which is why I don't worship any polytheistic gods. They're yeah, not thank gods. Goodness. They're just people. But, but we're not going to go there. We're not going to go um, for like the cheap love. In fact, all of these other characters, when they're looking for meaning, be it Star-Lord, it's his family, it's his crew, be yeah. it Valkyrie. As the leader of New Asgard, she's like looking to her village and the responsibility there. That's her most fulfilling answer. Um, yeah. You know, like they're actually not going for just pure sexual expression. You're right. And you know what else they keep bringing up? I've noticed in now three of the original Avengers have a sidekick who's like a daughter figure. Who's that? Doctor Strange has America. Hawkeye has... Uh, what's her what's name? Her but name? she's cool. Yeah, we like her. She's so cool. And she wears purple. And now Thor has... The little orphan girl and it doesn't have to be in a romantic relationship it can be in a family it can be in a sister it can be in other types of relationships and let me just maybe just take that point one step farther in the direction that i think it would bring so much more life to us if we would go with it christian sexual ethics get a horrible rap these days and i understand mm-hmm. why that is okay but the truth of christian sexual ethics is about preserving the best parts of innocence in all of those other spheres of relationship. Really, if you don't know anything Mm -hmm. about what the Bible teaches about sexuality, it's about preserving innocence. Because to have a truly platonic friendship, Mm. you can't introduce sex into it. Once you do, it it changes into something else. To have family, Mm -hmm. you cannot introduce sexual desire into that relationship. We rightly still in this culture 
recoil, recoil at that because it's horrible. And why? Why do we do that? Because it's ruining something that should be so pure and innocent. You can disagree with Christian sexual ethics. I just want people to understand the heartbeat of it is truly to protect all of those other incredibly meaningful relationships with aunts and uncles, moms and dads, sisters, brothers, families, cousins, the things that constitute 99% of our worldly relationships. Romantic love is meant to be a part of that, but the reason why it has boundaries around it is to protect everything else. Yeah. So the movie's not trying to say that, but I think they implicitly actually dignify that love actually isn't primarily sexual. And and yeah. I think that's right in line with a Christian worldview. We truly believe that. Like my friend yeah. Sam Aubrey puts it so well. He says, uh, no one's going to heaven because they're straight. <laughs> Just like no yeah. one's going to hell because they're gay. I mean, the, the dividing line truly is what you do in relation to the God of the universe. Do you yeah. accept Christ's? gift of forgiveness that he wants to give all of us and all of us are on the same starting page on that you know what i mean yeah it's easy to get lost in the crossfire on that but anyway yeah so carlin thor love and thunder (laughs) thor love and thunder yeah i don't even know what to say what could have been yeah what could have been it was fun i just I, i couldn't love it like i wanted to love it 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 lacked some of the love it lacked some of the thunder well, bet it was an unfocused movie, and it's hard to have a focused conversation about an unfocused movie. That's a great tagline. Oh, well. Hey, it's fun talking about it it's with you. It's fun talking about it. It's been a great time. 